Pulp MX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pulp Hockey, the Pulp Hockey Show. Subscribe to it on iTunes. Get it on Stitcher. Thanks, everybody, for uh, for listening. We appreciate it. Able to get good guests like we have on today and able to keep this show going. You want to support it, go to uh, the Amazon banner on pulphockey.com. Make a purchase. We get a small slice of that. And as well, uh, if you want the best underwear around, 2under.com, the number 2UNDR.com. Check them out. They got no drip tip. Joey Pouch, great underwear company. They support Ray Ferraro. They support the show. Ferraro twenty discount code gets you uh, a little bit of a deal at twounder.com, and we appreciate those guys coming on, and we appreciate all you guys listening so far. Ray Newfeld, Rob Brown, some of the guys, Randy Burridge, and the shows have been uh, doing well, so we appreciate it. So this week we didn't get an ex player on the line, but we have somebody who's also been uh, into the trenches and been around the game for a long time. A Gemini award winning broadcaster, the voice of CFL football for many of us for many many years on cbc now on tsn and uh he's in the in the trenches every week calling games chris cuthbert chris thanks for doing the show uh good to be with you steve tough to follow in the footsteps of the great ray ferraro though but uh, <laughs> i'll tell I'll, you I'll, I'll, I'll do my best yeah thank you i appreciate it. ray ray's the one who hooked us up and uh appreciate ray doing it and uh chicken parm's a good guy no doubt about it you're you're probably working with him most on tsn would you say you know what? Uh, uh, for the most part, uh, with Ray and, and Jamie McLennan, it, it's funny that uh, back in, in, in 1993, uh, I covered the uh, Canadians and the Islanders in the conference final mm-hmm. and uh, got in a, not really a little trouble, but the great Dick Irvin kind of heard me do a radio interview uh, during the course of that series when I said, you know, the one thing about the Islanders, they're the team you'd like to have, if they were a, a kind of an industrial league hockey team, that's the team you'd want to play for because you go in the room and there'd be uh, Ferraro and uh, and uh, Glenn Healy, mm-hmm. Pat Flatley, just a bunch of guys that love to talk the game. And sometimes, you know, the uh, the uh, post-practice interviews went, uh, went on forever. Right. Uh, so I, I guess Dick wanted to make sure that it didn't sound like I was cheering for the Islanders, but it, it's funny that I went from uh, from covering that team and mentioning that to ending up having worked in the broadcast booth with Flatley, Healy, and for the most part, Ferraro over the years, so yeah. it's, uh, it's been fun. And also, too, let's face it, Dick Irvin was a, a Hab homer anyways. He just really wanted you to make sure that you you know like the Habs. Dick, Dick made sure that uh, you went straight and narrow. The first time I was ever in the uh, in the broadcast booth at the Forum, he wanted to make sure I knew that, uh, right. like I wouldn't know that Danny Gallivan was the guy that uh, had preceded me in that uh, play-by-play chair. So, yeah. uh, uh, But no, I'm, I've, I've got nothing but the greatest respect for Dick, one of the, uh, one of the all-time Greats. Yeah, it's cool to hear. He doesn't do a whole lot anymore, but when you when he does come out, Belleville passing and uh, different specials here and there, you hear his voice, and and it's it's nice. It's cool. It's good, nice to see he's still around. You know, you got to respect that history. 
absolutely. Uh, uh, it goes back a long way to, I mean, he was a kid sitting on the bench uh, at the Montreal Forum uh, in practice when Rocket Richard was there and, and his dad was uh, was coaching. So the stories go back uh, a long, long way, and uh, I, I don't think uh, I don't think anybody can be more riveting than Dick when uh, when it comes to uh, when, uh, the history of the game uh, going back. Uh, I mean, deep into the forties. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, all right, hey, I want to talk to you. I want to get into your career a little bit for sure uh, in the second half of the show. Touch on some of the stuff that you've done, and I, I don't know if I can believe Wikipedia or not, but there's a really cool story about how you got kind of into a play-by-play. So we'll talk about that. I don't know if it's true because uh, it could be Wikipedia. But so far, the season so far, uh, obviously working for TSN, uh, calling the games, McLennan down in the in the benches, and Ferraro also. Let's first talk about these new new coaches challenge and the three-on-three rules. I guess first. Besides Eric Carlson and I guess Dustin Bufflin, I think this three on three and everybody I talk to and when I watch it, it's phenomenal. This is a great. The you know, my only drawback to it is that, remember there was a proposal for seven minutes instead of five, and seven, two minutes of four on four or whatever it was, three minutes of four on four, and then followed by three on three. I wish they would do that. I wish they would have went that. Other than that, I don't have any complaints. This has been awesome. No, I, I, I prefer it to, uh, I prefer definitely the shootout. I'm with you. I, I was kind of hoping for a bit of a hybrid four on four and then three on three. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm with you. I support it. I like it. Some of it has been spectacular. I think the very first one was that, uh, was it Tampa Bay and Philadelphia? Tampa, Philly, just, yeah. I mean, that, that was, that was off the charts. I did one in the preseason and the first one I did in the preseason I felt was, and it was a game that hadn't gone to overtime, but they were doing it as a trial, even though the game had mm-hmm. ended with with Ottawa winning. But when I saw that, I thought, uh, and I didn't want to say anything at the time because I, I thought, let's let's see how this progresses. But I felt a little bit gimmicky about it uh, because okay. there was some uh, there was some regroupings and whatever. I know that three-on-three can happen in a game, uh, so that's legitimate, and and maybe this is strategy that now everybody's thinking of, but there were some regroups in the three-on-three that were unnatural for, Mm -hmm. uh, and so if they're pedal to the metal, I'm all for it, but uh, there were some little things that uh, I wasn't absolutely comfortable with, and I thought, boy, I I still wish we'd give four-on-four a a longer go, but Mm -hmm. uh, you know what? It's preferable to the shootout, and uh, and I do think coaches are going to figure out ways to to ruin it a little bit (laughs) or to make it less interesting, but uh, for now, you know what? If, If we don't get to a shootout, I'm a happier guy. I was uh, I wasn't when the shootout came in with the with the new rules after the lockout. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great. I was uh, living in Manitoba. Um, went to some Moose games, IHL. They had a shootout then, and it was great. And it was awesome. And so the NHL brought it in. And I thought, oh, this is great. This is going to work out awesome. And I love the shootout. And I did like it for the first little while. But, geez, near the end, I, I kind of started thinking, maybe this isn't the greatest thing ever, too. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge Maple Leaf fan. and they were, So maybe I'm biased because they were losing a lot of points on shootouts a couple years. You know, and they lost out on the playoffs by only a few points. But I don't think it's that. I think the shootout just kind of lost a little bit of its coolness or, or something. 
Well, I think what, what may happened? have happened, and in, in, in maybe it could have been fixed by a timer, although I'd, I don't know if you want to get into that, but guys were starting to take you know uh, a minute to get down the ice with, uh, <laughs> with uh, every move that they possibly ever you know considered, and, and, and that became artificial too. There's one thing about having a breakaway and, and a guy chasing you, so you know you've got one or two options, but I mean Patrick Keane was, uh, was uh, you know undressing goaltenders with 14 or 15 moves mm-hmm. and and putting it into an empty net and and you know what that, that's a celebration of, of of talent at its very best so it's not Patrick Kane's fault but yeah. uh, you know it became unnatural in in terms of of uh, of hockey so I, I mean there have been some great moments we'll all remember Merrick Malik uh, what the 15th round or whatever <laughs> right, the right. the unbelievable goal by a guy who who uh, you know you then, wouldn't have expected hey and then as he pulls his with, and then he pulls that move also out of the move uh, and then right. the celebration was <laughs> off the charts I mean how how could you not love that but there was another issue was not enough games were being decided by uh, more than just the first three guys, and maybe maybe it was going to be too long, but maybe it would have been the American Hockey League used five guys, and maybe that tests mm-hmm. the depth of your talent a little bit more. Um, and, and and people can argue that you're probably only getting uh, nine guys skating in a in a three on three situation. Sure. But you know what? That's that's better than three guys deciding a game. You do a lot of uh, uh, Maple Leaf games and a lot of Ottawa games, regional games for TSN. Uh, Hey Eric Carlson, you three on three is awesome for you. Quit complaining. Yeah, what, I, I, I couldn't figure that out when I first saw that. I thought there. In fact, uh, I, I think I did an interview prior to really seeing three on three, and the first guy, and I, I was asked who who do you think this benefits the most? And the first guy I thought of was, I mean, you'd want Eric Carlson on your team for three on three. I mean, just because uh, you know, I, I don't think it could be better suited than. Um, uh, for a guy like him, so it, it is surprising. But there are, uh, the, you know, what there are a lot of traditionalists in hockey, and, mm-hmm. and even a guy that uh, that uh, is in his early twenties, uh, I guess, can be uh, can yeah. be in that boat. And uh, uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, if it's three on three and the Ottawa Senators play, and I can't wait to see what Carlson's going to do next. I know it, it was amazing when he came out. Buffalo, and I get it. He's probably he's probably pretty tired of going up and down the ice. But uh, yeah, 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 and, and, yeah, and you're probably not going to park him in front of the net as a screen on uh, yeah. in three on three but uh, but yeah you know what I think we'll see happen and I don't know for sure I haven't I'm I watched uh, I've watched not all the three on three games but I watched quite a bit I and I haven't seen it yet although maybe you have you're you're, you're deeper into this than I am I really think we're going to start seeing guys playing it back to the goalie have we seen much of that? Do you oh, think you know we will? I, and, uh, I, I think that is happening already. Oh, okay. and guys like Mike Smith. I mean, Arizona gets involved, and Mike Smith. Yeah, he's he's the second defenseman out there. So it's almost like four on three now. I, I don't know how you know how far he wants to uh, uh, to skate up the ice, but uh, but. You know, there's not a goaltender in hockey right now that's better at that headman pass. He can mm-hmm. he can throw it from his crease to the opposing blue line on the tape. And uh, and uh, what we've noticed, I, I think, is one of one of the biggest sources of the goals are bad line changes. And if oh, yeah. uh, and if a goaltender can help uh, capitalize on a bad line change, uh, you know what? It, it's uh, it is four on three. So uh, so I think you're right. It's uh, it's something that is starting to happen more. Okay. And I, I think it's going to happen even more. Yeah, the long change too for overtime. So that, like you yeah. said, yeah, the the, the changes, uh, the guys screw it up. 
up, and, and that results in some action. So I, I remember Ken Hitchcock, before again the season started, before we saw any three-on-three, mm-hmm. he'd kind of done a, a study of, of how it went down in the American Hockey League, and, and I think the stat was like 90% of the goals were caused by uh, by a bad bad line change or a guy getting right. off too too late or whatever or not getting a change in so uh uh so yeah that that and it's all all of this has been created to get that deciding goal so you you don't get to a shootout and and uh, i don't have the percentages now but yeah. you know it, it's it's certainly worked in that department yeah i think it has i think i saw something that said uh 70 percent of games yeah you know something like that so uh um, you know what and i was a big four on four guy mm-hmm. uh and yet coaches were starting to figure that out and there was there was more cautious four on four and they really pulled back the reins and I don't know if the coaches can do it with three on three but I, I hope right. they don't mess it up. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that's new this year, coaches challenge. Now me being a Maple Leaf fan, I don't know if you saw the game last night, but they had one called back. Um, they it was inches offside. They had but the play had already developed in the zone. There had been possession repossession uh some shots and then it, the boys scored they go upstairs they call and obviously i'm biased leaf fan here but they call the goal back because uh, you know whatever 30 seconds before the guy had been you know a couple inches offside now i get it whatever you got to get the call right there's talk also some coaches are using it as a timeout feature uh maybe not necessarily reviewing you know reviewing something that they know isn't going to go their way but overall, coaches challenge. What's been your thoughts on it? Well, you know, I, 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 I was all for getting it right with the technology, and, and now I'm, I'm waffling. And it wasn't the call last night. Now, now, had the Leafs got, or sorry, had Dallas got it out of the zone, the the challenge would have been uh, eliminated. Right. But it was offside, and I, and I hear you. Uh, what I didn't like was what I saw on the weekend in the Calgary Edmonton game. Um, there was really marginal contact on the Flames goaltender okay. uh, as a goal went in. Mark Letestu, I think, scored the goal. And to me, that goal is allowed 99% of the time. Bob Hartley challenges his right, mm-hmm. challenged, and the, uh, the, the official takes a look at it. He sees, again, what I consider incidental contact. Sure. didn't really factor in the goaltender coming across to make the save on the point shot and and they wipe the goal out so later in the game there's another challenge and it's as marginal maybe a little more legit but you Mm -hmm. you know that the official's feeling pressure because he's already called one back and is it an even up call i i don't want to insult the referee with that but there's there it, it was he he ends up disallowing a second goal and then there's a third goal that scored and bob hartley i think knew that there was no chance he was going to mm-hmm. uh win the challenge but at that point as you've referred to uh his team has has blown a big lead and and now he needs a timeout for regrouping and he kind of threw it against the wall to see if it would stick and and now i think people are starting to 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 realize that this there, yeah. This may have a, a bad side to it, and uh, um, but here's one other situation that uh, I've seen twice now. Okay. Uh, in fact, it was in the Calgary Edmonton game uh, where you you are n- not able to challenge right now on a on a an icing non icing call, and I've seen two games where 
there has been situations where icing could have been called and the puck's gone in the net. Once when icing should have been called, the officials missed it, mm-hmm. and a goal was scored that, you know, so are they going to expand the rules now? Offsides, yeah. as you mentioned, is 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 one area, of, and the only other is is interference on the goaltender. Uh, I'm not sure there there's an appetite to expand it further, but I I do think there's situations uh, that they haven't taken care of where where you could argue it should be reviewed just as much as as that close offside that you saw last night in the in the Leaf game. Uh, but you know what, technology is is something we've gotten used to in sports. Uh, we get a lot of it in the CFL. But if you're going to use it, you got to get it right, or else we're wasting yeah. a lot of time. And uh, now the debate is whether or not we we should see the the referees who are getting kind of limited looks at it if they get a second chance at the call, or should we be going to the Situation Room in Toronto where they've got you know ten different replays mm-hmm. and and two or three guys that can have a look at it and and maybe control the overall I mean, because every time you see one of these called it sets a bit of a precedent and and it's is that the line in the sand we're going for now individual referees can't really draw that line in the sand they're they're dealing in one or two situations whereas the situation room in Toronto they can set a standard that they want called right across the league so mm-hmm. I, I think that's one area that they may look at there is a divided opinion on whether or not it, it should be taken out of the hands of the referees into the you know the godlike uh, right. uh, center of command, but uh, but I think there's value in having that uh, that overview of it that that kind of sets league wide precedents and not just in game situations. Yeah, because from what I understand too, the refs don't have a great TV viewing in that exactly. in the box, right? Exactly, they're looking right? at an iPad. Yeah, they're yeah. looking at one or two replays that take a while to download, as opposed to uh, right. you know the the guys with uh, nice TVs like you have in 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 Vegas and and watching on the big screen and yeah. and with multiple replays. So, also too for you, you got to fill time during that challenge. You and Ray got to figure out something. Well, and you know what the funny thing is, and and I find this in football too that, and and I know on our panel uh, for for certain there are plays in football and hockey that you can show four or five people, mm-hmm. and two guys are going to say, well, that was goaltender interference, and the other three are saying, nah, it's incidental contact or <laughs> yeah. or pass interference in the Canadian Football League is, oh, is now uh, <laughs> on video review, yeah, and and there's lots of cases where you can't get consensus, so uh, you know uh, it it's. Um, uh, it, it's still subjective, and and that's what makes it difficult when uh, when you're starting to rule on on things that are subjective, as opposed to did the puck cross the line or not. Yeah. And that's why the governors may may take another look at this and say maybe we're wasting time with stuff that we should just leave in the hands of the officials to start with. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to see also to replay on pucks over the glass because I mean that is something that they miss a lot and it's hard Absolutely. to do, you know. But but that's a huge call at times. And when you see replays, either the guy blatantly didn't touch it or he did or whatever, and you're just like, wow. You know how do you miss that? And look, they're all human, whatever the referees. But let's there's a call there's a there's a call that I'd like to see in the hands of video replay. Yeah, the game is so fast that uh, uh, you know that kind of thing can 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 help an official. That uh, you know they they do have the four guys on the ice get together, but uh, mm-hmm. you know sometimes we need to see 
couple of replays to make sure. And these guys are making all these calls, uh, uh, you know, firsthand. And, and sometimes you can you can argue that in critical mm-hmm. plays, maybe maybe they need some help. I know you got to be politically correct here, Chris, but getting onto the hockey or the football thing with the CFL, uh, I saw. I don't watch a lot of Grey Cup. They're on. There are a lot of CFL games. Uh, the Grey Cup's on ESPN two, and there's. Right. And I have Apple TV, so I catch them on ESPN three um, every now and then. So I do watch some CFL games, and I know you got, like I said, I know you got to be politically correct here, but I don't think there's a group of officials that need more help than the CFL. No, guys. you know what? I, and I, I'm not going to disagree with you. It's oh. been a tough year for the officials, and uh, uh, you know, there's been some rule changes, and uh, and I think you know the officials are are under pressure to make certain calls. And if they don't make the calls, and, and the coaches don't help out because every week they send in 50 calls they think should be made mm-hmm. another way. And, you know, we've talked to officials who they get penalized for making, uh, for not making calls. Sometimes I think they should be rewarded for not making calls, yeah. if you know what I mean. Sure. Uh, I yeah. think right now the incentive or the pressure is for officials to call everything, and I think too much gets called. Uh, you know what? I, I and I'm and I'm not I'm not trying to deflect because I, I think the league has to look at their officiating. I, I'm I'm even in favor of bringing up uh, some American officials from U.S. College. Uh, we have uh, we have American players, and I don't think there's any reason why we can't have American officials sure. who are uh, who, who have more experience at uh, at major college level or or at the pro level. Um, well, let's you know fa- what? I went yeah. to an ASU Oregon game last week, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I thought the officials botched one of the critical calls that either forced overtime or were, was in overtime. And uh, even after a video challenge, I thought, "Geez, I, I'm sure they made the wrong call." But uh, and it, it got back to the point of you know, the, the officiating's not perfect, and, mm-hmm. and it's it, it's. Uh, it's a. It, it just seems like it's become a tougher sport, at, like hockey. It, mm-hmm. it, it's not getting easier to call; it's getting more difficult. Well, and then too, I mean, look at look at what the budget is to pay these guys and what they do. And you know, it's just what you're kind of getting. You know, guys who are part timers or whatever. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's one of those things that happens. Uh, let, let me talk CFL real quick here. People, hopefully, people won't get too bored. But since we since I brought it up, um, for you, I mean, I remember you've done so many CFL games, and no offense to your hockey career, but I almost like. You were just the voice of CFL for me for so long, be it CBC or now TSN. Um, but is it just me, or and maybe I'm getting older and I'm losing interest? But I've been in the U.S. for a while, uh, but I try to stay up on the game, and I, I think it's, I think the game is the CFL game has just gotten worse. Uh, it used to be, hey. These games are 52-49. There's all these points. And, you know, you had uh, Gizmo Williams, Doug Flutie, uh, D- Jeff Garcia, these these really good players also in it. Um, and now I feel in the last three, four, five years, Chris, I can't – the games are – 12 9. <laughs> I hear you. I, I yeah. think it's cyclical. I think okay. defenses has taken over. Yep. I think a lot of what you've seen in the NFL, I mean, uh, John Huffnagel, uh, who is the head coach of, uh, of, of the yep. Calgary Stampeders and general manager, I mean, back in the early 90s, uh, he, he was he was really the first the first time any any teams went uh, with empty, uh, you know, offensive mm-hmm. backfields, the Calgary Stampeders with Doug Flutie, and, and uh, now going empty is, is, is something. Everybody does the zone read. 
play that at least it's called a zone read in, in Canada that uh, the quarterback ride and decide. There's yeah. a number of different ways to describe it. Uh, you know, I saw an ESPN feature on that a couple of years ago that's been used in the CFL for probably 10 years. Uh, I, I just think this Canadian football game has, for whatever reason, um, become more defensive oriented and 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 it hasn't been as much fun in in that category. But I, I really don't believe the players are any. Well, I'm going to go back. I'll I'll I'll, I'll wave the CFL flag for a minute. Okay. Go back to the Super Bowl <laughs> last year. Sure. And a guy that almost was the MVP of the game was Chris Matthews. Yeah. He was, yeah. was a guy that Canadian Football League fans were well familiar with, a uh, 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 top rookie two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. And the only way Chris Matthews got stopped in the Super Bowl game was when Brandon Browner was put on him, who is a, a veteran corner from the Calgary Stampeders, who, who now is is with uh, New England, but uh, yep. uh, but has played in, uh, I believe, in Seattle as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, um, a couple of weeks ago, I told our guys that uh, they do a little segment of game balls, and I said, we, we really should give Delvin Bro a game ball because he's having an all-pro season with the uh, with the New Orleans uh, Saints mm-hmm. at corner and a guy that had played a couple of years in a starring role in um, in Hamilton and the same weekend I, I the next day I, I kind of had to amend my game ball because Cameron Wake had had four sacks uh, in a game for the Dolphins so mm-hmm. I, I mean there's a lot of guys. I really, I'm a football guy. I I love that ASU-Oregon game. It it was probably the best game I've seen this year. Uh, I love college level. I love the Canadian Football League. I love watching NFL games. And I really don't think there's as big a difference uh, at at, at certain levels. But but I I don't disagree with you that uh, Mm -hmm. the the CFL game I like, and and back in 2010 I called a 54-51 overtime game uh, between Saskatchewan and Montreal. It was a great cup rematch the first week of the year, and everybody got blown away by, you know, that's the CFL at its best. And you're right. right we've had some 12-9s this year, and uh, and defense has dominated over the last two or three years, and they're trying to loosen the rules, or maybe, uh, I should say, strengthen the rules, maybe on the mm-hmm. defensive side of the ball to, to open it up again. Last year, there were 3,000-yard receivers in the league. I think we're up to 11 with one more week to go this year. So some of those new rules have worked, worked but, yeah. uh, but you're right. Um, you know, we don't have a Flutie or a Garcia. I don't know if there's a guy uh, at quarterback right now that uh, that is going to be in the NFL in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. But we do have some young guys, and I think maybe that's another reason the league has uh, not been as exciting for the last two or three years. A lot of the top uh, quarterbacks for the last decade in the game have either, well, for the most part, retired or, in the case of Garcia and uh, and Flutie, headed south. But uh, uh, we've gone through kind of a generation of quarterbacks, and now a lot of teams are, are looking at new guys. And we've got some exciting kids coming up, mm-hmm. but uh, I think I think we're two or three years away from that next era of good CFL quarterbacks. Funny how the switch, though, like the NFL is doing everything it can to open it up, right? They've done it for a number of years, and everyone's talking about the, how soft they are and how many points are scored and how you can't touch 
touch the quarterback. Meanwhile, growing up, it was the opposite. Like CFL games, NFL Super Bowls were forever boring. Um, the game was a little bit slow. And the CFL, to me, anyways, as a kid and, and uh, you know, growing up from there, I thought it was so awesome to watch. Wide open. You're right. Yeah. And, and the, the one other issue and uh, it has been this year in our league, and, and, and it started out in the NFL as well. I think the first week you, you lost three starting quarterbacks. We have nine teams in the Canadian Football League, yeah. and I think we're up to 22, 23 starters this yeah, year. It's been nuts. Yeah. It's just been it's been uh, unbelievable how we have lost uh, guys. There's only two of the two of the nine teams have uh, had the same starter all mm-hmm. year, and one of those guys is 40 uh, Henry Burris, <laughs> who played a little with the Chicago Bears and, and and has got a knee brace now after taking a couple shots in the last few weeks. So it's uh, I mean it it it's been uh, it, it they're really trying to figure out how you can protect the quarterbacks and and I don't know what their the answer is beyond the the wrong answer which is putting a red jersey on them which isn't ever going yeah. to happen but uh, boy it's tough to keep those guys on the field well, there's always Kevin Glenn, everybody. You can always pick up Kevin Glenn. He's, he's, he's on his seventh team now. <laughs> oh, I know, right? Um, all right, enough enough CFL talk. But uh, like I said, you you did you were you were the voice of so many iconic games for that for so many years. Um, uh, back to the the NHL here. So the Sens and Leafs. Let's talk the Leafs first a little bit. My my Maple Leafs. They're they're almost unwatchable this year. It's tough. Um, they're rebuilding. They've got a bunch of vets on one-year deals. They're probably looking to flip a bunch of guys. Obviously, Reimer played great last year. The goaltending's, for the most part, not been great. They can't get any offense going. But the question for you, Chris, do you think – do you see what they're doing? Do you agree with what they're doing? Do you, and it's going to be tough for you to, to build excitement here, but what's your thoughts on their teardown? How, how patient are you? <laughs> I, I mean, know, right? this is going to take some time. Um, yeah. And you know what? I have the utmost respect for Mike Babcock, and uh, and this is not questioning Mike Babcock, the coach. I'm wondering if he was the right guy at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. If you're in a teardown, do you want Mike Babcock squeezing an extra four or five wins out of your season uh, that might hurt your your draft order? Or and I'm not suggesting you just get the worst possible coach to finish last. Of course, right. But uh, but if Mike Babcock's as good a coach as you think he is, and he's worth an extra 10, 12 points, well, is that going to be the difference between a franchise draft choice like Austin Matthews or mm-hmm. are you drafting 7th or 8th, and, and where are you going with that? Now, based on the way they've started the season, despite the fact they beat Dallas last night, that might not be a concern. They may be, they may, they, they, <laughs> right. they may be drafting 1, 2, or 3 anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you can make the argument, and I'll, I'll give the other argument, the other side of it, that uh, you're trying to develop a new culture. And, and the one thing we've seen from the Leafs this year, even without results, is uh, there is more structure in their game this year. They're they're better in their own zone. They haven't had great goaltending until last night against Dallas. And maybe there's another win or two on the table if, if the goaltending had been better. Um, but But structurally, they mm-hmm. are a better team. Uh, under Babcock than they've been, so uh, so that's one step in the right direction. But there's a long, 
time to grow players that you know yeah. right now are aren't playing with them that are playing with uh, you know they're trying to emulate in a, in a sense the Detroit system where you where you grow the guys in Detroit uh, you know two or three years in Grand Rapids sometimes three and four years right uh, and and now all of a sudden those guys have all moved into into what I think is going to be a pretty good team in Detroit and uh, and and that's they're going to have to draft well for two, three, four years, mm-hmm. and, and grow those players with the Toronto Marlies, and it's going to take some time. How many times have you heard Ferraro talk about that, leaving them down there and not touching? That's his, that's his mantra. He's well, goes, <laughs> it is, except when it's his son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're sitting by the phone waiting for the call. So, yeah, yeah. And, and finally, what, there's Landon. He's, uh, you know, he grew and developed in the system, and now he's, uh, he's a guy that uh, the Red Wings can count on. And, uh, and, and you're right, but, I mean, there was Nyquist and Tatar and, uh, you know, there's other guys that we're still not sure about, like Thomas Yurko, um, but yeah. uh, Lar- Larkin now, yeah. Well, yeah. and Dylan Larkin, yeah. the one guy that jumped the queue, and uh, and maybe that's a lesson too that you don't have to draft top three to get a superstar like uh, like a Dylan Larkin. But but nobody's drafted better over the years uh, than than the, the Detroit Red Wings, who who don't have many first rounders, but uh, but have made all those second through seventh rounders count uh, over the years. If you were Lou Lamorello or Babcock, when do you call up Nylander? They need goals, they need help, or do you, like we just talked about, do you just say, hey, you're on the farm all year? I, I, my sense is they've got to leave him on the farm unless, unless he's just, uh, uh, just too T- good for tearing it up. Yeah, I yeah. mean, there's a point where when a guy is is so obviously ready, it's a setback if if you leave him there. But I, I don't think Nylander's there yet. But he's an exciting young player that's uh, I, I would expect that's going to be in the lineup next year. But uh, I I'd be surprised if he's in the lineup this season. You, before the games, you meet with uh, some key players and the coaches, right? Before every game, you do a little uh, sit down. Yeah, the, the the time with the coaches, I you know what it's to me, it's my favorite part of the job uh, to to be able to sit with coaches for mm-hmm. ten minutes, uh, whether it be football or hockey, and and really get the lay of the land. And and some of it's off the record, most of it's on, but you right. really, I yeah, it's the best part of the job for me. So so to explain to me, you sit down with Pete Horacek. <laughs> near the end of the season last year and uh <laughs> he just looks probably like a man who's just gone through vietnam or something he's got to be shell-shocked how was that how how was that yeah, you guys? know what that those by by that point in the season right that that 10 minutes with the coach was was often just two or three minutes and, <laughs> and you're just looking for something that yeah. you know uh but i'll tell you what i i thought the leafs at the end of last year were the toughest Probably the toughest team and the toughest games to do I bet. Uh, that uh, that I've had to do in a long time, and and I'll I'll, I'll tell you the truth that uh, my schedule actually for the Leafs I I didn't do a Leaf game after March 14th, and I got into a, a heavy cycle of Ottawa Senator games, and mm-hmm. I will tell you that the Senators <laughs> run from February through till. Qualifying for the postseason on the final Saturday was one of the most exciting, uh, yeah. you know, uh, hockey uh, things I've been around. It was it was pretty remarkable to uh, 
um, uh, to to pick up that run twenty two whatever three and three or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, it, it's one of the most exciting things. And, and Dave Cameron, flip side from Horacek, a fascinating guy that we got to know over that period and mm-hmm. and, and pushed every button the right way to get that team to the postseason. That that was a fun run because uh, we were kind of going through the same thing with with Ottawa. I remember picking them up in in Los Angeles. Uh, and and there was a West Coast swing in early February, and they were on the verge. They'd actually announced that they were going to start bringing guys up from Binghamton to to kind of get ready for next year. Wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Andrew Hammond went into Los Angeles and shut out the Kings and the Ducks in consecutive games. And we kind of went, well, that's, you know, where'd that come from? And then they went up, and, and he stood on his head in San Jose. And uh, I think our, our crew picked him up again in Minnesota. And, they, and, and again, Hammond stood on his head, and they, they lost that game in a shootout, but, the, but they salvaged a point. And all of a sudden, you're looking at it thinking, you know, if they keep this up, maybe they got an outside shot. Right. And they never – they just never stopped winning from that point on the rest of the season. And uh, that was a pretty remarkable run and a, and a complete opposite from, you know, those Leaf games <laughs> where everything seemed to finish 5-6-1. and six, one. Oh. And, and maybe, as you don't want to be reminded, you know, they might have had five or six chances in a game for, for the last month or two of the season. It was horrible. I, st- I, think, was. I think I even stopped watching. I'm just like, okay, I'm done. I can't take this anymore. You know, you weren't the only ones. We see the TV ratings. Yeah, and, yeah. And the Leafs would, you know, an average night would get a million fans. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the year, we were, we were well well, we were three or four hundred thousand <laughs> yeah. at the end because uh, you know I, I, there there was only so much Leaf fans could oh, take. And, I know. And, and the best thing was that the season ended. Um, you talk about meeting those coaches. Um, who's who's some of the best ones that you meet? Who's some of those interesting guys? Or even give us a couple of players that maybe we wouldn't know have personality. Because look, the hockey the hockey world is maybe the worst out there. As far as let's get the pucks in deep. Let's you know I want to contribute and blah blah blah. Um, but who are some of the guys that you look forward to talking to? Oh, uh, Joe Thornton I've always enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Joe's gotten uh, uh, sometimes a bad rap in certain situations where he goes to the defense of a teammate who uh, uh, he thinks maybe the media is being too hard on or whatever. And, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, that, that happened last year and there was, uh, um, there was some reaction. But I, I, I always enjoy the visits with, uh, with Joe. I, I, coaches, uh, uh, Barry Trotz is one of the – the oh, all-timers, really, huh? but most of the coaches yeah. I I find are really you know fascinating guys that give sure. you a lot. There are some uh, uh, um, uh, Todd McClellan's another uh, who who is uh, a pretty interesting guy who uh, you know I, I I I enjoy the fact when I go into the, into meeting with some of those coaches. Bruce Boudreaux is a is a media dream. Sure, uh, yeah. maybe maybe uh, you know I haven't talked to him this year. Things haven't gone too well. <laughs> he could be back uh, early, yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, Bruce is so so darn honest about uh, about everything, and uh, um, you know, and, and then even uh, Daryl Sutter, a completely opposite personality, but a guy that uh, you, you know, I, I think Daryl Daryl gives out the the one and two word answers mm-hmm. to the to the the one set of media that show up just on game day for pre-game and post-game reaction, but for the guys that cover the league in depth on a, on a nightly basis, Daryl 
really gives you good stuff. And oh, that's good. Um, yeah, I would and, not. You know, I would not think that. I would not think that for Daryl. Yeah, you wouldn't. Right. You wouldn't think that. But uh, but he's the kind of guy that gives you the. Uh, uh, you know the real lay of the land, uh, and, and he—he's one of those guys that that doesn't give the great answer to a guy he doesn't think you know will mm-hmm. merit it because he's <laughs> he's just out there to hold his microphone in the in in the uh, in the scrum and say you know right. what do you think happened tonight? That that that's not going to get Daryl an answer, but uh, or or get Daryl to answer the question. But uh, uh, but for the most part, I would say ninety percent of the coaches are terrific, mm-hmm. and and what I like is in in a ten minute. Uh, session you know when you walk away and you say wow i i've learned something and and that happens more often than not i you know i i love those exchanges have you did you ever hear daryl sutter's in-game interview about the the yellow border line in the rink yeah, <laughs> yeah daryl daryl can he can go off on the wrong oh, road once in a while. That's, great. that's for sure but, this is great but stuff even that i don't because we know him you right. know sometimes we even find that entertaining oh, that, oh. there goes daryl you know so you don't run into this too much but in my job uh you know i have to be critical of some of these racers and teams and things like that and Sometimes I get stink eye from some guys in the pits, and uh, some people don't like it. I, I talked to Ferraro about this too. You know, he's more of a of an analyst, uh, uh, p- providing a, a critical eye at times of what's going on out there. Now you're you're the play by play man. Um, you know, there's not a lot of you're not offering up your personal opinion on something. You're kind of setting the stage for this. But have you gotten in trouble? Have you have you had to deal with this over the years? Some coaches, players, etc., not really liking your call or, or anything like that. I imagine it. Like I said, it falls more on Jamie or Ray. But I mean, well, you've been doing you this know, a long the, time. The, the one area, I, a couple of times in football where we've, uh, as maybe as a broadcast uh, uh, partnership, we've suggested a guy missed a block mm-hmm. on an assignment uh, when a quarterback gets sacked, and I've, I think a couple of times a, a, a running back has. has take an exception with that analysis but uh, for the most part uh, we and we get it from the fans and I, I finally changed my Twitter handle to say I don't cheer for or against your team <laughs> right. but they're uh, on a couple of occasions uh, and it's only happened once or twice in in, al- in almost 30 years of doing this uh, where I've had teams think I was actually cheering for the other team oh, and, geez. and I remember getting uh, I remember hearing this second hand mm-hmm. uh, uh, a long time ago in a in a playoff series and and uh John Garrett and I at the time actually made a special trip down to uh to visit with uh with the Florida Panthers because they they thought we were cheering for the for Eric Lindros and the Philadelphia Flyers and uh you know it's it's not our our fault when a player can be dominant in a game and we have to talk about him more yeah. than everybody else but uh you know what at at, at times I think fans think well, you know you're cheering for this guy you're cheering for that guy uh, and sometimes you're just cheering for the game because at 4-1 I admit that the team that's got one I'm kind of hoping scores on the power play to make it more interesting sure. or yeah. or if, if you've got a, a, a 21-3 football game and the team that's down has the football you, you wouldn't mind seeing a scoring drive just to just to see you know the the mm-hmm. uh, the temperature of the game change, um, but for the most part, you know, I, I mean, over the years, that uh, uh, the one one thing about getting older is 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 that a lot of the guys that you're covering now watched you when they were kids, and, yeah. and so that opens up some doors that uh, certainly weren't open when I was a, a young guy first starting to cover the Edmonton Oilers or, or the Montreal Canadiens in the '80s. So uh, mm-hmm. you know that changes things a lot. 
We're listening to TSN's Chris Cuthbert on the uh, Pulp Hockey Podcast Show. Uh, Gemini Award winner, voice of hockey, voice of CFL football for, for a long, long time. Go to Ferraro, tw- use code Ferraro20, go to co- uh, two under, uh, number two, undr.com. Save yourself money with that. And uh, we thank everybody for listening. All right, Chris, let's get into a little bit of your career here. T- taking longer than I thought. But um, um, I guess, first of all, getting let go from the CBC, you were at, you were there forever. Uh there was a kind of an outcry. People were a little upset about that. And in a way it, it was, it, I mean, look, losing a job is not, not good for anybody at any time. I've been there a little bit, but in a way it had to make you feel good. Like people were genuinely upset and they were wondering why, why this happened, why they let a guy go like yourself that called the gray cup and, and called Stanley cup finals and called everything else. Uh, that might have had to have been a pretty shock. But on the other thing, on the other hand, it opened doors at TSN for you. Well, it did, and and I was lucky enough. Uh, I mean, unlike unlike some people who uh, you know, I feel for when they lose their jobs. I, I had another one within, uh, I think, seventy two hours. But uh, mm-hmm. it, it was very. I mean, it. Uh, I, I've I've said I don't recommend getting fired, but in my <laughs> case, it was kind of a rewarding exercise because, uh, I mean, the day that it happened, I, I joked. Uh, I I got calls. From right. uh, from nine of the ten different provinces across the country, and joked that I, I guess I wasn't very popular in New Brunswick, but uh, <laughs> um, but it was on the national news, and yeah, uh, which yeah. was very flattering. And uh, uh, there was a, a big talk show in in uh, Toronto that uh, I was listening to, and they were waxing on, and then brought me on, and I said it was kind of like uh, I guess it was kind of like being at, uh, at, at, at attending your own funeral and listening to the obit. So um, it was all very flattering i i would uh, you know deep down inside would have preferred it didn't happen but uh, mm-hmm. um but it, strange things happen i mean we uh i move over to tsn and and within a year uh, they get exclusive rights for the canadian football league um sure right and and so now i i, I get to still cover both leagues that i i've always enjoyed covering um uh, you know do i miss saturday nights absolutely because uh, you know saturday night hockey is uh, in canada I don't have to tell you how special that is, and uh, um, you know that's that's the downside of it. Uh, I don't get to get to to cover uh, hockey as deep in the playoffs as I did before, which you miss. But uh, but I also have the opportunity of working on NBC hockey, which uh, wasn't going to happen if I was still where I was. So you know, it's it's there's. Uh, there's good and bad, and, mm-hmm. and you try and accentuate the positive and, and uh, play down the negative. But uh, uh, but 11 years later, it's still sometimes strange that uh, you know uh, that you're not working a game on a Saturday night after doing it for for probably over 20 years. Yeah, it uh, like you said, it, no one ever wants to get fired. But the, the outcry. I mean, look, I live in the U.S. full time. I do follow the you know the media, the Canadian media, and, and everything else. And and it was like everybody was just like, whoa. Like, this was a bad move, CBC. Like, what happened? And so, in a way, like you said, it made you feel appreciated, right? Like, you got these phone calls. You probably maybe got a raise. Who knows? You're back doing, like, it just, it, sometimes there's, there's things. Things happen for a reason, I guess, is what what they say. So I, I, I guess it was uh, it was during a lockout, and it was mm-hmm. just a, you, a strange time in hockey. And you know, there was. Uh, did you piss somebody off at CBC? Did you? There was. Uh, well, I, apparently, I, I guess I did, and, and <laughs> without games for a year, you know, I, I'm not sure it would have happened if uh, if if a the lockout uh, right. hadn't happened, or b the lockout had have ended halfway through the season. But uh, uh, you know what? It came out of the blue, and it it was a uh, 
a, a, a kick that you felt below the belt, mm-hmm. but uh, um, but it's uh, you know what it, it's it's happened and uh, and life go, life goes on. One of the things I talked to Ray about was look, we know Rogers uh, got the uh, got the national broadcast rights for for the NHL in a, in a huge deal, shocked a lot of people. Did you have a chance to go over there? Did they approach you? Uh, and you just decided, like Ray said, he just loved TSN, loved all the people he works with. But uh, did you have a chance, maybe, or was it? Well, uh, I, I do, but uh, I do love what I do, and. and and uh, I, I, I didn't get an offer. And uh, had I got an offer, it would have been uh, an excruciating decision. Sure. People always ask me, you know, would you, would you, uh, which one of them, which one of the sports would you like to do more, and would you only do one? And, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit greedy. I like doing both. And uh, uh, eventually, as, as time goes on, you might have to do one or the, or, or the other. But uh, uh, but no, I didn't. I didn't get a. I didn't get a call from Sportsnet and. Uh, um, sort of expected in tandem with Ray that you know yeah, we might uh, absolutely we might get recruited together, but uh, but that didn't happen, and uh, and and so it's it's status quo. Um, one of the things that's changed for you, and you've covered these games forever. One of the things that's I don't I'm probably I'm I'm, I'm getting old, so I probably don't remember, but I want to say in the last five years, but maybe it's been longer. We've we've started to see analysts down on ice level, uh, Ray, Jamie McLennan, whoever, down on ice level in the penalty box, and you're up in the uh, up in the rafters by yourself. Um, do you like the change? What's good about it? What's bad about it? Do you, I mean, sometimes like I've 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 done live internet radio shows, and I've even uh, done some webcast of races with a. I've been play by play guy, and I've been color guy. And again, not on Chris Cuthbert's level. Not, 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 not making sure everybody knows that. But the eye contact and the hand signals between a partner sometimes are really, really good and part of the gig. Now you lose that with someone down in the box. But then again, like Ray told me, in one of these shows, you see so much more, you hear so much more if you're Ray uh, in between the benches. So, what's your take on all that? Well, you know, it's actually been almost my entire time at TSN, which is uh, 11 years into it. Uh, so five years, uh, I was so, off on the five years. <laughs> yeah, but you know what, it's still, you know, it feels new. And, and it's been a, it has been an adjustment. I, I think you're bang on that uh, the subtlety of hand signals and just, uh, you know, sometimes even helping each other with a point to the lineup mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Uh, you, you know what, the the added ability to, confer a little bit during during the breaks to get everybody back on the same page i i've i've had to adjust to it a little bit mm-hmm. but i respect the fact that uh, that the guys i work with for the most part believe that they see more down there and if if that's the case then they're bringing more to the broadcast by doing it i i've actually and i haven't done it for a few years now but uh, i i've done at least a, a dozen games down there myself and enjoyed it to a a certain point mm-hmm. uh, where I saw different things on the ice, but for a play-by-play guy, I, I found too that I was getting blocked out at times, and uh, um, there's just more traffic to deal with. But there were there were there were subtle things that I saw uh, from down below that, uh, that that you don't see seven floors up, mm-hmm. and uh, and I enjoyed it too. Uh, call me a suck, but I I, I think there. Were Sooner or later, I was going to get one between the eyes, and and uh, that might not have been a whole lot of fun. Right, but, right. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, you know what? I I really 
I enjoyed it, and I'm, I'm tempted to kind of go back and do it uh, once or twice again this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, I'll leave it to the experts. And uh, and uh, I know Jamie McLennan and uh, has said the same thing to me that Ray has said for years that uh, you know that's where I watch the game as a player, and that's where I see the subtleties that uh, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, I can pick up on and, and I can talk about, as well as the the witty goon talk and the banter between the benches. And, sure. and what coaches are trying to do and, and how they're pushing buttons and, and the temperature of the game changing uh, during the course of a game, they sense that better down there than, than they do seven floors up. So uh, uh, so if it's an adjustment for me, it's an adjustment that you, you, you make because uh, you think the broadcast is better by having them down there. Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth here, Chris, but it sounds like you like it the old way better. <laughs> uh, no, I still do like the sense of having the guy beside right, me right. for for certain parts of it, but uh, yep. but again, yeah, I do defer to uh, if if he's do if he feels he's doing a better job down there uh, than I then then listen, I'll uh, I'll make my adjustments. But but you're right, I uh, there there is a comfort level for me having somebody sit beside me and and mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, and, and that's a, it's a subtle thing that's hard to even explain. But uh, uh, but again, that is an adjustment I've had to make over the last decade. Um, before I hit record on this, uh, Chris, we we talked about Ferraro a little bit. I started this podcast with him, and I got to know him a little bit. And one of the things why I wanted to start a podcast with him was because I hear a lot of ex players. Uh, talking, uh, be it football, uh, hockey, any sport you want. I don't, but I don't hear a lot of interesting things from ex players. I just don't. And for whatever reason, look, they're they're at, they're athletes. They're not they're not broadcasters. I feel like Ferraro, though, and like one I said, like I said, one of the things I want to start with this podcast with him because I feel like he does call it like he sees it. Uh, these are I feel like he's interesting. He brings a, a great viewpoint to the game. Somebody that I'm like I want to hear more of what Ferraro thinks of this this thing and and also he's one of those guys where you hear him talk and sometimes he goes I don't know I don't know that's just my opinion I could be wrong and again you don't hear that a lot from these athletes that that provide the color analysis of these games and so to me and again he's not going to listen to this we're kissing his ass he's but he's not going to listen I think he's fantastic I think he's great um and that's not a slam on any of the other guys you've worked with but Talk about, I guess, uh, working with Ray and what you think about him and, and all that. I mean, obviously, he's been doing it a long time, but you've been doing it longer. You've been through a lot of these guys. Boy, I, I, I hope he's not listening. No. Because he is the best in the business, and, and, and you're bang on. And, and I, I learned something. I'll tell you what, my, uh, I, I told you that uh, you know one of my favorite exercises is that 10-minute talk mm-hmm. with a coach. And, and uh, uh, my second favorite, when he's not yelling at the cab, cabbie for, for – being in the slow lane or or for going too fast or going too slow the the the, the 20 minute drive to the the rink is mm-hmm. is a fascinating exercise because we're dialing into the game but he's he's always got some interesting take from a player situation i mean a long time in the league a guy who scored over 400 goals and uh, you know i i don't think he's he, he he doesn't play the union card, but he's he knows what the guys on the ice have gone through for the mm-hmm. most part, and uh, he's willing to say when he thinks they've screwed up, he's willing to say what he thinks they could have done differently, or he he certainly has that recognition of elite 
play and talent. And uh, I think he's the complete package uh, of what you want in an analyst. Uh, you don't hear cliches. You just no. uh, hear no. a guy that's completely invested in the game on a on a daily basis uh, with all the issues, and a guy that also just loves the stupid stuff around it. You know, the yeah. pranks, the you know, the 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 funny banter. Um, the only downside to working with Ray, and I got this last week when we were doing uh, an Arizona-Toronto uh, game, and, and you go down there for the morning skate, and you want to watch the skate, and with Ray, that every person he sees, he stops and chats with. And all the <laughs> chats are fascinating, right. but you never get out to the ice to see the guys you know, skating around around, and, and, and maybe that's not a bad thing either. But, uh, but he knows everybody in the game. He loves uh, you know, chatting with everybody about it. And uh, mm-hmm. him and I, I mentioned Joe Thornton earlier. I, you know, it's, yep. it's usually pretty funny to hear those two guys because uh, they have always got an interesting take on things. But, uh, yeah, he's, uh, yeah. he is... He's always interesting, and once in a while, he'll lose it, and, and that can be entertaining, too. He was telling me about Kessel. He's like, I don't know why, but somehow Kessel liked me. He goes, and Kessel would make a joke with me and go, right, right? Because you know how Phil ended every sentence with right. And he goes, it was tough to, to bag on Phil's effort level at the end of the year, because let's face it, Phil and everybody else on the Leafs were mailing it in. I mean, he said he did it, but he's like, I don't know. Phil liked me for some reason. But well, and it, it, it's amazing down there. Sometimes he He'll be carving a guy, and he's sitting right beside him, and 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 yet, and I think Ray does have the cachet that uh, people know that you know uh, that that uh, he's, he's you know, a good player, and he's he's been there. So uh, you know, one of the most, and I forget the guy's name now, but uh, during the uh, the Olympics in in Vancouver, he's down there, and uh, actually became quite friendly with the backup goaltender for Latvia, who who actually didn't go to the dressing room once during uh, one of the intermissions, just sat out there and talked to Ray. It was, <laughs> was highly entertaining. Oh, that sounds funny. That's, that, that does sound like uh, like something that he would do. And, and the other the other funny story about Ray and, and, and talking a lot is, uh, uh, is, is we always have a little hit on camera before each period starts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, Ray's got a visit with everybody, and uh, once he was down below at, uh, at the Air Canada Centre, and, and he's, he's chatting away, and then he looked up at the screen, and I'm on the screen, and he knows if, if Cuthbert's on the screen, then he's, he's on the screen. Too. <laughs> right, and, uh, right. and, of course, he missed that, that one and then had to make his way along the leap bench because players are back on the ice, you know, the coaches are back there, and he's got to do the old excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, <laughs> making his way in between the benches, and uh, yeah, so once in a while, Ray the, uh, yeah, Ray the chatter, uh, uh, the chatterbox, he can get him into a little trouble. One time, uh, we did one of these shows, and I got the number of goals he scored in junior wrong, I think I said 102, and he's like, 108, oh. but who's counting? Who's yeah, counting? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, I, I've heard 108 and 408, I believe, more than, more than I'll ever need uh, to I know, right? Um, Hey, when you're doing NBC Sports, um, uh, and whether it's the CBC, your old gig, or now with TSN, any sort of different rules or different points that the, the, the American broadcasters uh, ask of you or want of you compared to uh, the Canadian guys? Is there a little different setup or anything? Like, what's the what's the difference between the two broadcasts? I, I don't know if there is. When we first started with the NBC in 2005, they were talking about being more conversational and and I'm not putting words in their mouth but I I interpreted it as they wanted more of a 
basketball-like broadcast than a, than a hockey telecast. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think as as we got into it, they, I, I, I think maybe more of the interpretation was they just wanted to hear, uh, and it was a three-man operation, so they'd have a guy upstairs and a guy between the benches, and and I think it was more. Play by play, we only want to hear like thirty three percent of the time or forty percent. Right. We want more of the guys who have been there before, and that was fine. And I, I found me myself, I was pulling back from doing the traditional play by play. But, uh, but ten years later, I, I find that that broadcast to me is is the same as the one I'm doing mm-hmm. on TSN, and the same that the guys at Hockey Night in Canada do, that it is conversational, but there is still a uh, a traditional play-by-play element to it. So I, I think for the most part, it's, 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 it's mostly the same. If I'm doing a Canadian game, I'll talk about guys, uh, uh, hometowns in, you know, yeah. more Canadiana and more junior. I won't do that uh, in the States. I'll, uh, I'll talk more of U.S. college uh, or, or that the guys from uh, somewhere in Massachusetts or Michigan or Minnesota. Right. Um, because, you know, I, I, I think people from those areas like to identify with the guys that are playing whether it be from uh from northern ontario or northern minnesota it's really tough for you on the u.s broadcast of the duck games to not drop in the fact that gets brother is a wide receiver for the saskatchewan rough riders <laughs> uh, last year i did uh, i did tweet out uh, in in the morning that uh, ryan was uh, doing his interviews wearing a saskatchewan rough riders uh, a t-shirt so uh, oh. that 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 plays that always plays well in saskatchewan yeah really right the american guys are like what are you talking about what are the rough riders <laughs> now the worst thing is i i get fined for any uh, hockey gaffe on a football broadcast and and I I, I think I've gone clean this year but mm-hmm. uh, I, that there is once or twice I've uh, Chris gets laugh has become Ryan gets laugh in a Canadian football league sure, game. sure uh, right. I don't think I've made the, the the reverse mistake on a hockey broadcast yet but uh, that that would probably be a fine too <laughs> yeah no doubt okay so here's where we get into the Wikipedia thing your biography on Wikipedia and and, and uh it may not be right, but uh, like I said, there's things on Wikipedia about things that I know happen that are wrong, and, and I'm even in it, and some, something was wrong about my fact. But anyways, so a power outage stuck, struck the Montreal area when you were, as a reporter, for um, uh, you were doing the Canadians against the Bruins, I think. And it said that the power outlet struck the Montreal area. And the CBC was forced to turn to you in, in Washington. Okay, so you were in Washington to provide yeah, the full... In, I was in Washington, yeah. So this is true. To provide the full broadcast, play-by-play, analysts, and everything um, just from Washington. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, it was kind of... Uh, uh... It was a, a bit of a coming out party, I guess, for me. Sure. I, I had I had certainly had worked for Hockey Night in Canada. I had done a little bit of play-by-play for them, but for the most part in the 80s, uh, I was a host out of Edmonton or Montreal. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had heard, I, I was actually, that year, it was 88, and I was the host of the uh, Flames-Oilers series. And I, I knew that they were looking for somebody and I don't know, to be honest with you, why they didn't just pick up a, an American broadcast, but they were looking for somebody on on the off nights to do um, intermission play-by-play. They they drop into the game, the other games they weren't covering. Okay. So so in Canada, it was on one night it was Calgary Edmonton, which I was hosting, mm-hmm. and on the other night it was Boston and Montreal, and they wanted. To, 
during the intermissions to be able to drop into a game like New Jersey-Washington. So I volunteered because any play-by-play that I could get my hands on was 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 mm-hmm. going to be something I'd like to do. And and they decided they, they, they could fly me across the country and back uh, on the off days. So uh, um, so I flew down there, was, was basically didn't even have a, a – a, a broadcast position. We were in the in the stands at a table uh, <laughs> behind one of the sections, and um, and the game had started. And I was sort of waiting for uh, the first intermission of the of the Boston Montreal game. Okay. And all of a sudden, they said, uh, "We've got a problem here. Uh, you're going to have to go on." So I I just started calling play by play, and I kept calling it and calling it, and and finally, <laughs> ten minutes in through to commercial, and they said, uh, uh, I said, when are we going back? And what's and going said, on? <laughs> we, we 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 may not be going back, and I couldn't figure out because I ended up giving scores from Boston Montreal, and I couldn't figure out well if they have power in the building, why. Why are they not covering the game? But what what had happened was they were working on generator power at the forum. The game mm-hmm. was going on, but there wasn't any power in the rest of the province really to uh, to broadcast the signal out of there for the rest of the country. So that game went dark, and for the rest of the night, I did the intermissions, the color, and the play by play of a <laughs> of a fairly mediocre Washington New Jersey game that wasn't that exciting, but. Uh, uh, I think because no one had ever done it before, I, mm-hmm. I ended up getting some very positive reviews. And uh, it, it was strange because I didn't do my normal prep for the game. And about an hour before the game, I kind of felt like a, a student going into an exam that I hadn't studied for. And I started to cram, and I went through <laughs> both media guides as deeply as I could. And it turned out to be uh, fairly uh, opportunistic because during the intermissions, uh, they were sending over some of the management types that I had read about in okay. in, in the yeah. media guides. I remember Sam McMaster coming over, who was, I think, an assistant GM at the time, and um, and um, uh, uh, George McPhee was a player for New Jersey that was not dressed that night, and they sent him over in one of the intermissions. And, uh, <laughs> it was just, uh, you know, a yeah. night where wow. while the game was going on, I really thought I was dying a slow and painful broadcasting death and and actually the, the the there was only one other guy uh who was kind of producing and directing um it was just a two-man operation and we 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 ended up doing 50 minutes of that Jeez. game and, uh, and walking out of the building hoping that we still had a job at the end of it and and the next day it kind of blew up that uh, this was this was pre-internet and pre-twitter yeah. but right. uh the next day there were lots of uh, pretty pretty uh, neat reviews and when i got back to calgary the, the next day um you know i'd been around the oilers when they got a lot of attention and it was kind of almost uncomfortable because uh because the broadcaster was getting a lot of attention that night and uh it was very flattering but uh but uh i'm glad it only happened once now um they had sent you to Jer- to Capitals Jersey just to um, like we're going to cut to Chris to talk about what's been going on in the game. Like you were only supposed to do a few like two minute stand ups. Is that kind of what uh, they were? No, no. Oh. I, I, what I was going to do was uh, 
two or three minutes of play-by-play. You know, welcome to uh, welcome to the Capital Center. It's 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 two-one. Uh, here's who scored, and uh, let's pick up some action for about three minutes. Okay, so, okay. Uh, yeah. So that's all right. So that's why I didn't do the the heavy heavy prep that sure. you normally do. But uh, anyway, it it turned out uh, to be a lot more than that. In fact, uh, I mentioned the table uh, mm-hmm. literally the while we were on the air. <laughs> the fire marshals uh, were had. Uh, uh, sent some people over from security because we were blocking one of the aisles, and they actually started moving the table with <laughs> with the headset as as I was on the air. As you, were it was, doing it. you know what? It was it was completely Murphy's law that night. Anything that could could have right. could have happened seemed to. So this was, would have been uh, now. It was a night I'll never forget. That's for sure. This would have been the '88. So this would have been like Sean Burke, the first time the Devils got in, and Sean Burke taking him, I think, far that year. You know, I, the the yeah. one guy I remember because I think he scored in that game was. Rod Langway and uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, it, it wasn't Pat Verbeek was on the ice for New Jersey and uh, uh, it was um, it, it was a game where not a whole lot was going on right, and right. Uh, I, I wasn't nearly as good an analyst as I was a play-by-play guy that night. Now, had you done much play-by-play? I you know what I I had done a little bit and and my dream was always to be a a play-by-play guy for Hockey Night in Canada and I'd maybe done a handful of games. I, I probably got from 86 on, I might have done four or five games a year. Okay. Uh, but that was a turning point. And, and after that, I think the next mm-hmm. season, I was kind of half and half. And by 91, 92, I was exclusively a play-by-play guy. So uh, uh, the one thing I miss is I used to do the, um, I used to be the guy that would do the interviews in the dressing room for the Stanley Cup winners. From, oh, yeah. Uh, from about uh, 80, 87 on, and and uh, and that was always kind of special. That was something I took pride in. And uh, once I started with the play-by-play, I, I kind of uh, I, I lost doing that that the extra hosting stuff, which was fine because uh, I was actually doing what I, I really wanted to do. Right? Yeah. When you uh, when you go back and watch classic hockey, a guy that you were working a lot with back then, and he's uh, from Winnipeg, uh, passed away now. Don Whitman, who was a great play-by-play guy. I thought. Oh, absolutely, um, and um, that's one of the. I was the host mm-hmm. uh, of of the crew for the most part that had Don Whitman, who uh, was a great Canadian Football League, National Hockey League, sure. uh, and in Winnipeg, famous for his WHA calls as well. Uh, but Whit and and John Davidson or, or Jim Poplinski were the uh, were the, were guys. the color guys back then. So uh, uh, we had a lot of fun, and the Oiler. Uh, Flames run in in the '80s was something to spectacular to be a part of for uh, sure. I don't know if you uh, if you read much books, but Mark Spector, he's a Sportsnet guy. He has a book out right now on the Battle of Alberta over the years. Looking forward to it. I've I lived almost all of well, it. That's I, what I, was I, say. I moved yeah. to Edmonton in in uh, at the start of the '84 '85 season. So the '84 playoff series between those two, I I didn't cover, but everything else afterwards, and uh, and I still think the the best series I ever called was the 91 uh, first round series between the Oilers and Flames that went to overtime in game seven. Uh, Fleury scored in overtime in game six, six. or seven, and then overtime Esatikinen scored in game seven. And uh, if you ever see highlights of that on classic hockey, watch Mark Messier limp off the ice and uh, after the winning goal in Game 7, I, I don't think a, a series ever took more of a toll on both teams than that one. Right. And I, I think the Oilers might have had one more cup in them, 
but they had nothing left after round one against Calgary in that series. That's right, because they got didn't they get swept the next round, or they they, uh, got... they won the second round and then lost to Minnesota. And yeah, the, uh, the North Stars ended up going to the Stanley Cup final that year and lost to Pittsburgh. Which everybody was like, yeah, the Oilers are going to roll over the North Stars, and they just had nothing left, like you said. Absolutely so, nothing. Yeah. So that although that was pretty good Pittsburgh team that ended up. Yeah, winning. yeah. I don't know if yeah, I don't know if the Oilers would have had. This was post Gretzky, of course. Messier was leading them, but um, yeah. The, the, the I was going to say the 90 series that they won surprised a lot of people mm-hmm. because everybody thought they wouldn't win again after Gretzky left. But but they won in 90, which made it five out of seven. And, and again, I thought you know the next year they were just as good and might win a sixth in eight years, but that didn't happen. And, uh, of course, who can forget the flurry, uh, the, the the overtime goal where he skated the length of the ice, slid on his back, got on his knees. Uh, it was a great, great you know goal from a guy that was you know stepped up in the big time. Yeah, the, the Battle of Alberta had nothing but uh, but uh, but but memorable moments and some pretty uh, uh, some of them some of the most vicious uh, brawls that uh, that ever happened were in at least in the regular season as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Marty McSorley and I, I think with a spear on Mike Bullard in, in, <laughs> yeah. in one series that uh, uh, was uh, was highly controversial and, and j- that, that there was there was no love lost between. Uh. Those two teams over the years. That was kind of Colorado, Detroit, or Boston, Philadelphia. It was uh, Montreal, Boston. That uh, that was pretty intense stuff. Yeah, and Calgary had such a great team. They won in '89, but then they, you know, they lost to San Jose when they were great. They lost to the Kings when they were great. You they, had to they f- could have won in '86 and, oh, and lost to Montreal. Yeah. And but but there was a classic case of uh, of Cliff Fletcher. Uh, built that team to beat to to, to I mean, it was a it was a, a you know like a, a, a war where they were just escalating the, the artillery and mm-hmm. uh, uh, to. to to imagine that Cliff Fletcher traded Brett Hull, knowing that Brett Hull was going to be a great player, but he needed he needed Rob Ramage and and uh, and a goaltender like Rick Walmsley. He felt to uh, mm-hmm. take the next step to beat the Edmonton Oilers, and uh, and it didn't work out in '88. It, it it ended up working out in '89. And 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 just to make a long story longer, I, you asked me about interviewing players. Mm-hmm. I interviewed Rob Ramage after they were eliminated in 1988, and here was a guy that was, you know, they they traded for ramage to help them beat the oilers and it didn't work and rob ramage was so classy in defeat and uh and i always uh, savored the fact that i had a chance to interview him uh, as a stanley cup champion in 89 because i sure. thought you know he, he showed amazing class and uh you know he stepped up in defeat and uh deserved deserve his moment in the sun uh, the next year when they won. When you're in those rooms for the cup final interviewing these teams, are you just trying to keep the microphone dry? <laughs> uh, you know what? It can be chaotic, but it, it's obviously fun. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know what? Uh, unlike baseball, they never needed goggles back then. Uh, sometimes <laughs> you kind of wish you did. But, I know. Uh, huh? uh, but it was a lot of fun. And But you know what? It, it, that's, that era has ended now. There's not a whole lot of that, and, and uh, it's transcended into a celebration on the ice which mm-hmm. i think is 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 way cooler because uh when it happens on home ice uh, you know there, there's 20,000 fans can help sure. uh, uh enjoy the moment as well and and celebrate so uh it, it's something that's changed over the years from uh uh i think the oilers were the first team to have that uh picture on the ice to celebrate uh, but now, and I'm not sure when it started, uh, um, maybe mid-90s, late-90s, where 
the celebration stays on the ice for quite some time. And uh, you know what? We did the uh, we did the Boston or the the Oilers victory in Boston in 1988 was in a in a dressing room that was right. Was, was tiny and uh, you know there was just no room to to breathe in there so <laughs> the fact they do it on the ice now is uh, is uh, is a lot better in a lot of ways did you get to call a cup final play by play guy no, I have nope. not. Uh, that's still something left wow, on the okay. bucket list. So uh, one day I hope to do that. Uh-huh. I would have, I would have thought for sure you would have gotten. Uh, I guess. Um, I guess it would have been Bob Cole, thing. right? Bob Cole Bob was the Cole, yeah. and uh, yep. Yeah, I mean, Coley uh, is still you know uh, an iconic voice even in his eighties. But yep. uh, but you know, ten years ago he was probably at the top of his game and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I never got a for me the, the and for our crew the Stanley Cup uh, our Stanley Cup final moment was was not doing the finals it was doing the conference finals and uh, pretty memorable games uh, uh, doing conference finals yeah. uh, over the years maybe uh, not the least of which was the the '94 series between uh, the uh, the Devils and the Rangers and and uh, Matto scoring in overtime and uh, uh, and you know sending them on to win a, a Stanley Stanley Cup in '94. That was uh, that was as good a series as I've ever covered. Two seven games between uh, New Jersey and the and the New York yeah. Rangers when those two teams were at their best. Yeah, really messy at Game Six. The calling yeah. of the of the yeah. shot, you know, guaranteed win. And, I know, and and to, and to have the hat trick in that series was was pretty remarkable. And of course, you know, obviously uh, the, the the Devils trying to prove that they, you know, they're, you know, they're located what within 20 miles of each other, if that. And the Devils are never getting any respect. You know, nobody. The Rangers are the big boys on the town, and the Devils are coming on, and you know you got all that. Besides the drama, you have the the regionality of the game where they're trying to you know. Yeah, made it, it. It really did make it special, and uh, and there was that animosity too that you have between the two teams. But you got uh, uh, you had you had Mike Richter and Marty Brodeur in the prime of their careers, and Brian Leach mm-hmm. and, and and Messier, and uh, uh, it, it was all good stuff. So if you. Well, let me get to this first. First question. Um, nowadays, you would be the answer for many young uh, broadcasters on who they want to emulate, who they want to be. Uh, they might say Chris Cuthbert, but for yourself, even back starting CBC days, who are some of the guys in any sport? You know, football. You've got a lot of, like you said, you've, you're a big football guy. Who are some of the guys that you look at as being, you know, on your level or guys to look up to? Oh, I, I had two. Uh, I had two role models that I, I you know. That I, I thought of as highly as as you know I might have thought of, of Bobby Orr as a kid growing up and and for me, nobody called uh, games better than Dan Kelly and, and Danny Gallivan and to me Danny Gallivan mm-hmm. who was the voice of the Montreal Canadiens through through all the great times was was the artist of of play by play guys and and Dan Kelly for me was technically the you know the best voice and, right. and and the best technical call and i i you know both guys you know the 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 hairs on the back of your neck would stand up when when they made those great iconic calls that you never forget and uh I, I spent a lot of nights uh, with uh, a transistor radio under my pillow, listening to KMOX, <laughs> listening to Dan Kelly call St. Louis Blues games. Right. 
just because I, I, I just hung on every word he, he called in the game. And then, um, you know, I grew up as a, as a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, and, uh, and Danny Gallivan was the voice of the Canadians. Uh, but uh, as, I, as I got older and, and realized that maybe mm-hmm. I'd like to be a broadcaster, I, I realized, you know, how special it was to listen to Danny Gallivan call a game. And, uh, and as I said, to, to, to get to sit in his seat beside Dick Irvin uh, for a few years, was uh, was uh, a career highlight to be sure. Yeah, no, no doubt about it, right? Um, for your yourself, uh, memorable Grey Cup games. What uh, what stands out? Um, back to CFL football a little well, bit. Well, my, my, my first game was my first Grey Cup game was uh, in 1996. And uh, as I arrived at the stadium, uh, it started to snow, and and uh, they really didn't have great. Uh, snow removal. Um, was that Argos? Uh, uh, it was the Argos and the Edmonton Eskimos. It was Doug Flutie um, for the Argos, and and it and, and I actually when I got there and the snow was piling up, I thought, you know, it's my first Great Cup game, and it's going to get ruined by the weather, <laughs> and it's going to be, you know, it's not going to have the offensive that you were talking about, but I, 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 I forget the score now. It was like 40, 43, 35, something like that. It was just a wild game, a couple of kick return touchdowns, mm-hmm. uh, a catch that ended up on ESPN that night as the catch of uh, one of the catches of the year uh, by Eddie Brown, who, who had it slipped through his fingertips and, and ended up kind of hacky sacking it back up into his <laughs> hands and, and in stride ran into the end zone for a touchdown. It was, uh, it was a game that had everything, even a little controversy because uh, Doug Flutie fumbled in that game and, and the referees actually blew the call. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I think when Flutie went into the hall of fame admitted that, you know, the ball <laughs> was a fumble <laughs> before the whistle that should have been called a fumble, which yeah, yeah. I don't think made anybody in Edmonton, feel any better but but that game and in 2010 uh, of for uh, fans that don't know, uh, Montreal and Saskatchewan played a, a classic game, oh, and, yeah. and the the Rough Riders were the underdogs, but looked like they were going to win. And Montreal rallied back and and uh, and and missed what would have been a game-winning walk-off field goal, except that the Rough Riders had too many men on the field, so they got a, a second chance to kick the winning field goal in the last play of the game. And crazy, uh, that was nuts. And, and the reason I love that game is is just that you know the the, the Grey Cup had had the fall bowl and the mud bowl and uh, mm-hmm. and these iconic uh, the ice bowl uh, uh, and the, there were these iconic games and and that one will always go down as the 13th man game and and uh, and, and one to remember so uh, you know it's an honor a privilege to get to do a great cup game and and those are the ones that uh, mm-hmm. that I'll never forget for sure I've been uh, covering this sport of uh, supercross and motocross since 96 uh, 30 races a year Three or four trips to Europe in the off season. I just got back uh, from Bulgaria yesterday for for a race. Um, I'm getting to the point where the travel is getting to be a little much for me. I've just turned I'm in my early 40s. What about you? How's the travel? How's that? How do you deal with that? Um, you've been well, doing we, it longer than I have, but we we can compare notes on Bulgaria because I never thought that's a country I'd get to. Me I neither. Actually, yeah, uh, me neither. <laughs> I, I actually covered the European Figure Skating Championships oh, in Bulgaria, but uh, in uh, Sofia, but, you know what? Did you go to Sofia? Road every, uh, you know, on the road a lot. Uh, I'm 150,000 miles and 100. 
plus yeah. nights uh, a year. And it, it, you know what? It's a good thing I'm. I guess I'm a little nomadic and have a little bit of wanderlust, and and uh, mm-hmm. and love the fact that in the summers I get to travel across Canada, and and in the winters, uh, you know, you get to New York and L.A. and to Dallas and Colorado, Denver, and uh, yeah, yeah. just uh, just all over. I I I, I love. The uh, I, I've loved feeling the pulse of different cities like Chicago and and, and Boston, and uh, um, it hasn't grown too tiresome yet. Uh, there are there are times late in seasons where you're ready for the break, but uh, well, but I find that when I get the break, that after a few weeks, you're you know you're almost that little internal time clock is ready to head to the airport again. So it's uh, it hasn't got old yet. What uh, what are your breaks? I mean, with the CFL, when are you when are you home for a month or two at a time? Well, at June in the, in the last couple of years, uh, I would have uh, from the time the conference final was over until mm-hmm. uh, July first, and uh, uh, last year I only got a, a couple of games in the second round, so uh, so I, I get a month and a half off, and 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 you know that's as much as anybody, I guess, and I always say this this job I have beats working for a living anyway, so uh, um, so it's all yeah. it's all pretty good. And you know what? The dumb thing is, I get six weeks off and, and travel during that time too. So, <laughs> so I'm a sucker for punishment. Yeah, really. It sounds like you know, just the whole waiting in line to board, waiting in line for the rental car, waiting in line for the check-in. You know, uh, all this if, kind of stuff. You, so. Steve, you you fortunately don't have to do Toronto traffic, and I those are the guys that I think are the warriors. The guys that sit in in traffic yeah. for an hour and a half, two hours, and commute, you know, uh, one way or the other every day, or or whether you're doing it in New York City or or Toronto or wherever the yeah. major cities are, boy, that's uh, the, the guys that grind in the in 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 uh, in, uh, in commuting traffic every day are the guys that I think uh, you know are the heroes. Yeah, no, we we go we do race in Toronto every year, but we fly in and I skip the traffic. I, I have it planned out pretty good that way as far as getting downtown, you know, to the Rogers Center. Uh, where is home base for you? Just outside Toronto. I'm in. Uh, I live in Brampton. And, oh, I know uh, that is. Yeah, and yeah. that's uh, that's in the northwest side, which is close to the airport. So uh, sure. it's it's a pretty quick shot there when I need to go. Wow, you yeah, you travel a lot. Jeez. Um, all right. Uh, quickly, I will wrap this up here. Pulpamex or Pulpamex Pulp Hockey Podcast. That's the other one I do. Um, you have to start a team tomorrow, and you have to pick Gretzky or Lemieux. Which one do you pick? Wow. Yeah, you're grinding me now. Uh, that's uh that's that's almost unfair. Um you know, I I guess I spent I spent uh longer watching 99 than 66. Uh-huh. Um but at the same time, the the Lemieux's size and strength today might make more of a difference than it sure. than it even did back then. So I'm waffling and <laughs> Trying to figure out a way to have both on my team. But, I know. Uh, maybe Mario's size uh, is is something that um, that, that yeah. wins him over his the reach, end. his size. Yeah, incredible. How was he to deal with? Uh, as, well, as Mario's uh, Mario was. Uh, I, I, I I had a, a, a good relationship with him, mm-hmm. uh, a respectful one. I I think he was uh, 
it's such a, a class act and, and uh, great respect for had a chance to actually to uh, interview him at his first home and I remember him showing us his home and he was so proud of, of, of this place he had built in Pittsburgh which as it turned out I think is about a quarter of the size of the new one he has in Pittsburgh so <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, as the salaries got bigger uh, yeah. so did that so did the mansion so uh, uh, good for him both uh, him and uh, and Gretzky uh, probably were underpaid for most of their careers know, based huh? on today and how was Wayne to deal with all those uh, years? You know what? Yep. I mean, every, everything you hear about Wayne Gretzky right. is uh, is right. Uh, terrific uh, guy to deal with, and and uh, I was privileged enough to to really get to do that on almost a daily. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the joy of covering the Edmonton Oilers in the '80s almost was that the, uh, it, practice was almost as fascinating to watch sure. as, as the games, and uh, and we did sit there a lot of nights up in the press row and say, you know, this won't last forever. This this <laughs> this just won't last forever, and and it, it was a very special time. And uh, in fact, on Twitter today, I just saw a picture because they're they're uh, revealing plans to honor Glenn Sather now that he's retired. Uh, right, right. Um, and uh, there's a picture of uh, Sather recently uh, with Glenn Anderson, Gretzky, Curry, Coffee, and Fuhr uh, posing with the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, 20, 25 years later. Right. It kind of was a reminder of how special those days were because uh, all those guys are Hall of Famers, and uh, and they were awfully fun to watch. You know, talking about Dan Kelly, and I'm not 100% sure on this, so I could be wrong, but talking about Dan Kelly, about a few months ago I popped in the DVD of Game 3 of the 87 Canada Cup. Which I did, right. Did, did, did Dan call that? Yes, he did. Okay, so yes, I got that and right. One of the great calls was, uh, was Gretzky de Lemieux and wow. uh, yeah, I, the winning goal in the in the third six five game of that series. Yeah, well, being from Winnipeg, we like to focus on Howard Chuck and it's trip that he. That yes, he, <laughs> but uh, um, so, anyways, I'm watching that game and um, uh, Dan Kelly was calling it or whatever, and I just it may be I I looked on highlights on on YouTube afterwards too. He's in the Hall of Fame, so it's not like he's underrated. But man, was Grant Fear incredible! Like I really. Starting to maybe have more appreciation of Grant Fuhrman. I'm going to have McLennan on one of these things too, and I, he he backed him up, of course. But what a what a goalie! Like, oh, absolutely. You know? you know what? The unfortunate thing was it was the year of the six five game, or you know, and and Fuhr would be left alone while the other guys were playing. You know, they were going. Uh, the Oilers at back then were run and gun to the mm-hmm. extreme, the, and partly because they had so much. Um, faith, faith yeah. in Grant Fuhr, and 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 you could look at Fuhr's numbers, and I'm sure the guys today, the analytics guys, would say, "Well, look at that, you know, save percentage and goals against average. Come on, you know." But Grant Fuhr made the saves that had to be made when the game was on the line, and and he was almost unbeatable oh, uh, when the yeah. game was five four, and and you know he was facing three breakaways in the final five minutes. Um, uh, one memory of Fuhr that I'll, I'll give you is that uh, of all the goaltenders I remember, I, I don't remember a guy that had more bruises on his body. And and it kind of is a reminder of of, uh, of the fact that back then they were playing with the old-style pads. Yeah. They weren't oversized. In fact, Grant was a little bit of a, of a pioneer. He actually, I think he had... Uh, the first colored pads and maybe even had sponsorship on them that I think he was told to take off. But uh, yeah, and his autobiography had Pepsi or something. Pepsi, that's yeah. right. And, and but his pads weren't big, 
And, uh, I mean, he faced a lot of rubber in, in practice by all these running gunners that were so offensively talented. And he never said a word, but like, he'd take off the gear, you know, those mm-hmm. small, that small uh, chest protector that isn't like the, uh, you know, the Star Wars uh, uh, outfits today. And and uh, his his body was was you know covered in bruises, and and he'd be out there till the bitter end taking shots. And uh, um, he was one of those guys that it, it, he was a terrible interview. And Grant would just say, "I just, like, have him, just having fun." But, uh, but yeah. Grant was one of those guys that. Uh, you know he uh, he loved what he did, and and very few guys ever did it better. You uh, yeah, you just watch him, and you, like you, if you were to somebody somebody who hadn't seen him looked at his numbers, you'd go eh, a lot of wins, but look at his stats or whatever. But again, watching that Canada Cup game, like he just refused to break. He would bend, yep. you know. And and then I remember obviously me growing up in Winnipeg, we got a lot of Battle Alberta games, um, and just all the time. And obviously the Jets had the two times in my. Youth, the Jets had the Oilers at three to one, and they just could not put them away, you know. And and it was one of the reasons was fear. He was just yeah, just it, so good. It was, and I remember it was just that. And and those series, I remember watching. It. In fact, one of the series was three one, and I believe it was three one in in Game Five, and and uh, and and could not put away. Uh, the the Oilers and, and you're right he was as important a part of that team mm-hmm. as any of the other Hall of Famers and uh, and again for a new guy that never has watched any of that hockey in the 80s to look at at Grant Fuhrer's stats and wonder why he's in the Hall of Fame he, you you better you better go and try and find some highlights yeah, because yeah. Uh, he was special uh, before we let you go working with Don Cherry got to ask you about that uh, obviously like I said you didn't work with him Ron was his in studio guy but you were a CBC uh, man forever. So thoughts. Well, on- I actually did get to do a coach's. Oh, you did with with uh, with grapes, and, uh, oh. and it, it was a highlight. And I, and I don't remember why the circumstances, <laughs> but uh, in fact, I, I think we were doing a. And and I'm not even sure Grapes would remember this, but we were we were in the in kind of in the in the basement of the old Chicago Stadium where you know fortunately we didn't see any of the cat sized rats that were running around. But <laughs> there was a night when we were down there, kind of just there wasn't a studio down there in in the in the bowels of the old stadium. But so they had kind of just set up in in the hallway, and there was this loud hum that. Uh, that uh, was was actually too noisy for for the broadcast, and they were trying to figure out what was causing this noise. and And one of our floor directors was was fiddling around, and finally flicked a switch, and the hum uh, it, it okay. went quiet. Yep. So we we figured out whatever that fan was or whatever was gone. And uh, and this was just prior to the first intermission, and we go and do coach's corner, and everything's great. Mm-hmm. And uh, late in the second period security came down to that area and they were you could tell they were in an agitated state and we played dumb and and they they flicked the switch back on but apparently all the beer had gone warm at chicago <laughs> stadium and beer sales had been affected so uh i don't know if mr Wurtz was too happy right. with that but uh but anyway no it was grapes is what you see is what you get right the guy that I've loves the that. game more than anybody yep. and watches every night and has an opinion on everything he sees mm-hmm. and um and uh 
Uh, and it, it was, uh, you know, a privilege to... I, I will tell you one other little story about... Because uh, I'm from Brampton and I've mentioned that. The Brampton mm-hmm. Battalion were an Ontario Hockey League team and Mississauga was... The Mississauga rink was about seven miles away and Grapes was the coach of, of that team for a while. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, you know, with a rivalry seven miles apart that there might be a little um, uh, uh, animosity between the two cities and between the two teams. And I remember making a point of going down kind of to ice level to hear how the fans in Brampton would, would handle grapes. But he was so <laughs> iconic and so popular that everybody was cheering him on. And I thought, but this isn't right. This is Brampton. We should be, you know, on this right. team because, because grapes' team, they played uh, physical and, and uh, you know, they were a team that if you weren't cheering for them, you'd love to hate. <laughs> but, and, uh, but it's Don. But, but, yeah. but, but the fans of Brampton couldn't muster any dislike for grapes. He was just, uh, he was just too popular. I'm going to have to search for the rare Cuthbert cherry coach's corner boy if you find it I, i'd love to see it because i and and you know what I, I do remember that night and 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 uh and grapes doesn't want anybody moving in the studio right and uh, if you did you were in trouble and i remember that night he he tested me and i i failed i failed miserably because uh i was doing a stand-up on camera away from coach's corner and he was staring me down from just off camera to see if I'd flinch, and unfortunately I did that night, so he got me, but that was my uh, baptism of fire with him, and I failed miserably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple more questions. Sorry, Chris, thanks for taking the time for us. I, oh, good. I, I, I told you an hour, so we're, we're you know, I suck at this job, that part of it. Um, what do you think of Rogers and what they've done with the Hockey Night Saturday Night package, bringing Strombo in uh, a little more? They, they changed everything, really, uh, other than Coach's Corner, although they cut Don back by two minutes. He's all pissed off. But um, what's your take on what they've done, the changes they've done? Obviously, you work for TSN. We all know that. Um, but uh, what do you think? Well, I, I, you know what? It's it's hard for me as a guy on the other side to to to, to make editorial comments because that's probably not fair for 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 me or them. Um, uh, you know what? I I wondered why they cut back a guy like uh, Don that the, the country wants to hear all the time. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? I met George Strabalopoulos at the fan when he was an intern, and and I knew he was a guy that uh, really huh? uh, yeah. was going to be something in the business, but I wasn't sure if he was going to be, uh, whether it was going to be in hockey or, or, or just as a, as a great interviewer, which he turned out to be as well. Sure. Um, but I remember when, when, when people said, if Ron McLean wasn't hosting, who would you have host? And, and I got to admit that Strombo was on my list too. I thought he was a guy that, uh, uh, could do it for a, for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think he's, he's done a great job. Uh, uh, for the most part, I don't think it's changed as much as, as people think. I, I think they tried to, uh, to, to gimmick it up a little bit with some different cameras that uh, that uh, yeah, what happened to the ref cams? Yeah, exactly. What yeah, happened? The ref, cam, the ref cam didn't last very long. <laughs> no. I think partly because the refs weren't being paid as cameramen. Um, oh, really? You know, okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and you know what? Uh, I, I think the sky cam had some interesting moments, but mm-hmm. uh, but you know what? NBC had done the 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 star cam as well mm-hmm. uh, for a long time but i'm i'm not sure how long anybody wants to just watch one guy on the ice 
shift after shift. So, yeah. you know what, I, I think sometimes, it, and it's it's widespread, it happens at TSN, it happened at CBC, it, happen, it happens at, at Rogers. There are producers trying to make their mark, trying to reinvent the wheel, but the wheel is still round. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think that uh, for the most part, it's all about good camera work, which Hockey Night in Canada ha- always has had, and it's about... Uh, Good play-by-play right. and good analysis at the end of the day, and and gimmicks, you know, yeah. are, are are fine. But uh, at the end of the day, that's not why people watch, and they watch more than anything, I think, because Saturday night is what yeah. people have done in Canada for for sixty years. Uh, I, I'm with you. I got that Game Center live for, for because I travel so much, and oh hey, look at these angles. Oh yeah, that's cool. Thirty seconds later, I don't, I can't say I honestly ever used it outside of one or two minutes of novelty. I just was like, oh, yeah, I just want to watch well, the I game. remember back in 91, they were trying stuff, and I mentioned that Calgary-Edmonton series. Right. We mounted a camera, uh, a robo-cam, uh, underneath the clock, and it followed action um, on one side of the ice. But then when the puck would come to the other side, there was one or two games where we tried to use that as a play-by-play camera, and uh, it mm-hmm. was kind of like the Blair Witch Project, and, <laughs> and people were getting uh, dizzy and sick. And uh, yeah. but, but for as long as I remember, you know, 25, 30 years that I've been in the business, and, and probably longer, there was a time in the 60s when they thought the right camera cut uh, when a shot was taken was to go to an ISO of the goaltender. And you see some highlights <laughs> yeah, from the right, 60s yeah. where, you have no idea where the shots come from. It's just, uh, and and who thought that was a good idea? But but there's always been the push for something different, yeah. and, and I guess that's what takes telecast to a different level. And and in fairness, that if you watch a telecast from the 70s and the 80s, and now watch one today, I mean, obviously the font style, the graphics, and everything else is uh, it's superior now than it was 10, 20 years ago, and. Uh, so it does have to move. The uh, you know the needle does have to move, and and things have to change. But there are still some basic elements that uh, that make good television, whether it was in the '60s and '70s yeah. or whether it is today. Well, even like I think TSN is guilty of this. I know Sportsnet is. They have the camera from behind the net up high for power plays. I hate yes. it. I hate it. Absolutely, and yeah. and there are <laughs> you know there there are certain uh, teams that do that uh, now. I I don't think it's a rule on our telecasts and right. uh, that we use that. I, I think it's a rule we don't. But uh, once in a while, uh, a new director might come in and say, sure. you know what, I'm going to do that, and uh, and I don't like it either. Some fans do like it, and there are some yeah. U.S. broadcasts. Some teams do use it a lot, but uh, you know it and it. it, it in, in, in a sense, it comes down to personal taste as well. You think, uh, obviously, while watching the games uh, now, you see the uh, virtual advertising on the glass. Do you think the ads are? Do you think that the jerseys are going to get splattered here eventually? Uh, they are going to get. Uh, they're going to. They're going to be ads on jerseys. I'm sure of it. I hope splattered is not the right word. <laughs> right, yeah, if, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. And if we get to, to European, you know, mm-hmm. I hope the integrity of the jerseys isn't affected. I, right. I always tell a story that as a kid, I went over to England as a uh, as a 12 year old, and I was a kid who loved sports. And I remember staying at a house that had. Um, 
a big kind of like an encyclopedia of, of English soccer, and it had all the uniforms. And I was a bit of a, a sports nerd, and in, in the two weeks over there, I learned every uniform of British soccer in in the four divisions at the time. And now I, I can't recognize one uniform because it's, it's all about what sponsorship right. it is that year. And, yeah. and so if the Toronto Maple Leafs, your team, uh, starts wearing, um, you know, Canadian Tire Red or, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. or Coors Light Silver, um, you know, I, I think that's a problem. But if, and I know the Canadian Football League has two small patches on, uh, on either shoulder that's pretty subtle and, mm-hmm. and kind of, over the last five years, almost forgotten about it in, in, right. in, you know, by most viewers. If if that's all it is, and it's worth millions to help pay salaries, then then I don't have a problem with it. But I'm, if it I'm if sure we t- get into into Swiss league hockey uh, uh, <laughs> style jerseys, uh, you know, Lord help us. I'm sure ticket prices will go down if that happens. <laughs> yeah, no, right. I, yeah, probably not. But you know what? It used to be weird to see signage on the boards. Yeah. And you're watching these old games now, and isn't it weird to see oh, white boards? Totally. I mean, it, totally. It, 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 who'd have ever thought? So, um, so I don't actually. I don't even mind these superimposed uh, ads on the glass. I think you know that technology's kind of neat, and if you can pull it off, uh, um, good for them. There's a disturbing trend going on in in all sports uh, the last few last decade. Let's say, you've always been a national broadcaster, right? Have you ever been done local stuff? Uh, not much. Uh, okay. Just a, a little bit of North American Soccer League and and uh, and CFL games in Montreal. That's really the only time I've been a, 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 a an individual yeah. team announcer. Yeah. So what's disturbing is there's some there's these teams. They're they're more and more bought and paid for by the team um, which is fine i get it um but you know you want to talk like jack you don't need to name any names jack edwards on boston like it's just to me it's just disgusting i I see more and more broadcast teams becoming homers i appreciate the guys that aren't and again you're not in this position as a national broadcaster but this is a little scary in the last 10 15 years in my eyes because i watch i have center rights package so i watch all the different games I don't like it. I just I don't like it at all. But whole, I mean, I get that you, you know, you're pulling. Everyone's pulling for the team here because we're watching the broadcast. But I feel yeah, like this it's is just, it is it's, mandated in some cases, though, and that's that's a tough thing for the guys because oh. uh, you know they're they're not only they're not only encouraged to do it or they're they're expected. To Are do they it. really? You think and they're really expected in, to do in it? Some cases and. And uh, at least that's in, in, there are teams that um, I'm under the impression have that, and and I've thought about that. You know how uh, how, how how would you what, do it? Yeah, yeah. How what? Where is the line? And and I I think there's some guys across the league that do a terrific job at, at staying down the middle, but uh, it might be easier for the guys that don't have any pressure than than some of the teams that. Um, so you that do really have it. so you really think it's the teams that are doing this? Like they're I. I, I do think in in a lot of cases the teams expect that, um, and I I don't know that for certain. Although wow, um, yeah, you know it's been suggested to me that uh, that uh, that there are that there are broadcasts that uh, you know especially in. in in mar- there in markets that are are trying to sell the game and yeah and maybe that's understandable but uh, uh, but to me you know you're selling the game oh. by appreciating the stars that are coming in as much as the guys on your team too. and I I get a little homerism I get that because it is local and maybe you are trying to sell tickets to the next game I I, I understand that but things are getting a little creepy 
in that way to me at times. I'm just shaking my head going, come on, guys. You know, like, ugh, man, it's I don't like it. I just don't like it. That's just me on my couch. That's my it, rant. You so. know, and it, uh, I, I'm not saying it isn't there because I know it is. Mm-hmm. But um, Danny Galvin had a great saying that uh, sometimes bias is in the ear of the of the listener. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think on national broadcasts, uh, I, I, and I've experienced this again, we, we mentioned yeah. this earlier, where fans are quite convinced that you're cheering for one team, and then you'll get the tweets that they're quite convinced you're cheering for the other team. <laughs> and and I, I, get, I see this at playoff time. And, uh, uh, you know, I, yeah. I did a game this year where uh, I had a lot of fans in one city that were convinced I was cheering for the other team. And uh, I thought it was a pretty good game and a pretty good broadcast. And, and as it turned out, it was the team that won that uh, there was multiple <laughs> – fans thinking I was cheering against them and I would yeah. really that that uh, but but and and I noticed that uh, and I I think even my colleagues in Canada are getting it more now that um, um, in the Vancouver Calgary series uh, I'll, I'll go back to to my experience mm-hmm. uh, I remember doing a Winnipeg Vancouver series uh, many many years ago and in Winnipeg they were quite convinced we were cheering for Vancouver <laughs> and we got back to Vancouver for the next uh, couple of games and we couldn't get over how many fans in Vancouver were were upset with right. us because we were pro jet. So uh, well, I, I do remember when Whitman Whitman was from Winnipeg, lived in Winnipeg, and he came under attack a few times. I think this is before the internet for cheering for the Jets, and I'm like, I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't hear. Yeah, it, yeah, and, and you know, I, I've had an advantage. I think. Uh, that uh, I, I've lived in Montreal, I lived in Edmonton, and I, uh, for the most part, have raised my family in the Toronto area. And in the Toronto area, people think I still am from out west, and uh, <laughs> and people out west think I'm from down yeah. east. And and I think the fact that nobody that, can pinpoint where the heck sure. I am has has kept me a little bit more neutral than uh, than in other situations might have been. Oh well, yeah, exactly. Well, hey, Chris. Uh, Thank you for taking time on your day off. Uh, I told you an hour. It's an hour 44. I really, really appreciate uh, getting uh, getting us going here on Paul Pocky Podcast. We haven't done a ton of these, but, man, I could so many stories. You've had a great career. Like I said, growing up, uh, your voice is what I heard a lot, especially CFL football games, and now you're working for TSN and doing back, back with CFL, calling the Leafs and the Ottawa, a lot of regional games. And, uh, man, great stories, great career. Thank you for sharing that with us, and thanks for taking the time today. I, I really appreciate it. Fun being with you, Steve, and uh, and uh, any opportunity we have to take a few shots of Ray Ferraro is, is, <laughs> is good in my book. Yeah, it's fantastic. That's great. Oh, what about his knee surgery? He's been telling you about his knees. Oh yeah, we get uh, you know it was to me it was just a, a bad excuse to be able to use his golf cart at the at the uh, at, at his private club there for a while. But yeah, uh, yeah no, he's uh, uh, it, it, it gave him something else to talk about, and there's never any shortage of things for him to talk about. So. Fantastic. Well, thanks for taking the time for us, Chris. Thank you, man. Good, good, good chatting with you, Steve. Thank Hope you. to do it again. All thanks. right. Bye-bye.